1: way of getting the word out how did the word go same way it always had for years by word of mouth from individual to individual to individual but you know what that is still the most powerful way of spreading the gospel as one beggar tells another beggar where to find bread as you in your walk in Christ are able to share your faith with a friend, a family member, a neighbor, a coworker. What God has done in your life, you sharing with another individual is still the most powerful way of impacting lives.
0: The best way to convert a believer isn't to stand on a platform and threaten hell. It's not to loan out a good spiritual book to an unbelieving friend. Today, you'll discover with Pastor David that the best way to share the gospel and to make believers is word of mouth one believer to another personal testimony of what god has done in your life is powerful the gospel can spread because of the clear demonstration of how the gospel had changed your life you can tell of the impact jesus has had in your life and hearts will be touched now here's pastor david in the book of acts chapter 2 as he begins his message the biblical church
1: Last couple of weeks, we looked uh, really at the beginning of chapter two. We we spoke about it uh, again as as being the birthing process of the church. There was a time of expectation they were in the upper room they were praying they had been praying again for the power of God to come upon them the power that Jesus had promised that the holy spirit would come and empower them to be witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world then finally that actual delivery day on that day of pentecost when the holy spirit came down and uh, the tongues of fire on everyone in that house as they had been all praying in one accord in one purpose with one heart and in In the coming of that Holy Spirit, empowering him, those that were there all within the house to again be declaring the wonders and the grace and the might of God. And many of them began speaking in foreign languages. And as we share that, some spoke the language of the people that again lived in Judea, but many of them spoke in foreign tongues, up to 15 different languages that were spoken. God giving that miracle work. So you have this new baby now it's been, been literally delivered, this, this new creation that comes from the very heart, the very plan, and the purpose of God and she's taking her place in the midst of a culture that, that surrounded her then and there and how that all worked together. If, you're, if you've got your Bible you should be in Acts chapter 2 look down at verse 41 with me if you would. Verse 41, this is the, this is the birthing process right here. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. 3,000 souls. The birth has taken place, this new creation is formed, and just like every new baby, they didn't come with instructions. Uh, How many of you realize that babies don't come with instructions? Uh, Suddenly they're there, and as a new parent, particularly on your first one, it's like, what do I do with this thing? How do I deal with this? What happens when they cry? Am I doing something wrong? All of these things. Here's this new baby, and as I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, this was a big baby, 3,000 souls that were added to the church at that day. Can you imagine taking care of that many people? How do you do that? How do you raise a newborn baby and do it correctly. Is she going to survive all of the mistakes that are going to be made in those earlier days and weeks and and months and even earlier years? We've seen, we know that there were a lot of things that they had to process through, that they had to grow into, that they had to guard against. Just like you do with a new baby, you don't want that baby to get into things that will damage them or or hurt them. The same way with this new church, is she going to survive all that? Is she going to be able to grow? to be that strong, that healthy, that pure, that beautiful bride for her coming groom, the Lord Jesus Christ. When you think of this new little baby growing up to literally become the bride of Christ. Take a moment with me now and let's consider what this new church was born into because it wasn't what you might consider to be the the best of situations. As a matter of fact, she was born right in Jerusalem of Judea. And you got to understand, Jerusalem in that time and day, man, it was, it was a crazy place. It was, it was the center of Jewish religion. And you would think, wow, what a great spiritual place to be. But you got to understand that Judaism, it had become more about business. It had become more about laws and rules and regulations. It wasn't a devotion to God nearly as much as it was a power struggle, people in power lording it over everyone else. Uh, That was on one hand, you have this religious group of the Jews at that point that were far from what they should have been. On the other hand, you have the Roman government. This, this power struggle, this uh, this 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 oppression of a, a very secular-minded. But even the Romans themselves, they had this multiple of gods, these pagan gods that they worship. And now this baby, this church, is born in the midst of this, who not only worships one God, but they worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Pretty soon, they come to realize neither the Jews nor the Romans are going to be their friends. Neither one are they going to have very much support from, not in, not in any kind of a positive way. A difficult place for this new birth to happen, for this new church to take place. You need to understand also she was born on a major Jewish holiday, the, the day of Pentecost. And Thousands and thousands were there. Some estimates say that there were somewhere between 200 to 300,000 Jewish men, plus many of their families, that were there on the day of Pentecost. And we look at the amount that came to a saving knowledge of Christ of 3,000, we think, wow, that's huge. But then when you look that there were very likely 300,000 that were there, you realize percentage-wise it wasn't as many that you would hope to, but still a large amount. The craziness that was there. From those that were there, you realize that of those 3,000, so many of them didn't live in Jerusalem. They had come for that holy day. Very quickly, they were going to be leaving. Of those 3,000 that came to Christ, very few of them would have stayed in Jerusalem. The multiple of the, the most of them probably traversed back to home, to their other countries, to their other cities, to their, to their families. What happens when someone comes new in faith and then suddenly they're pulled away from all of their support? How do they grow in faith? How do they continue to be nurtured in the things of God? Yes, they made a decision for Christ, but now they're back in whatever culture, back with family, back with routines, back with life that they left. How does that happen? Well, we do know that that new faith grew and it became directed, it became corrected, it became instructed as God sent missionaries out, missionaries like Peter and Paul and a host of others as they went into these cities and they found some who were believers and they encouraged them and strengthened them, corrected the, the, the mistakes that were being made, the, the bad doctrine that had already come in. Even through all of that, the growth of faith in these guys, it was, it was miraculous that they would stay in faith and grow in faith. One of the other things we need to realize is that church was born in a time and in a culture where there was no mass media. There was no satellite television. There was no Facebook. There was no Instagram. There was no Snapchat. There was no way of getting the word out. How did the word go? Same way it always had for years, by word of mouth, from individual to individual to individual. But you know what? That is still the most powerful way of spreading the gospel, As one beggar tells another beggar where to find bread. As you in your walk in Christ are able to share your faith with a friend, a family member, a neighbor, a co-worker, what God has done in your life, you sharing with another individual is still the most powerful way of impacting lives. Oh, we can have the great crusades. We can do great splashes on mass media. But the thing that impacts people's lives most is when they see the change that's going on in your life and in my life. But the word of God spread quickly. It spread powerfully. And in just a few short years, most of the known world had already heard the gospel and the church, that young baby, began to grow and to grow. How did she get her nourishment? How did she get her strength? How did she really develop Well, I think some of the balance of what we see here in Acts chapter 2 began to show us how that was done. It's not just how that church in the first century was nourished, though. I believe that the same way that the church of the first century was nourished and strengthened is the way that you and I ought to be nourished and strengthened. I believe that, again, what God set forth in those early days is a pattern that does us good as the church today to look at. Look at these verses with me if you would. Verses uh, 42 through the end of that chapter, verse 47. Verse 42, and they, speaking of these 3,000, speaking of those that were still in Jerusalem, speaking of the church that was there, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. That baby is growing. Not just the 3,000, but now daily, God is adding to the church. What we see here as we as we read those earlier passages, particularly verse 42, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, and breaking of bread, and in prayers. Guys, this isn't some... Church growth plan. And suddenly you get a flyer in the mail as a pastor and says, hey, here's 15 ways that your church can double by next season. Listen, I get those all the time. Uh, It wasn't an email splash that came through and say, hey, come to this seminar and we'll teach you how to double your leadership and double your impact to the community over the next four months. And no, it wasn't that. What it was was people of God that were practicing the very presence of Jesus on a daily basis. The impact of Christ in these lives changed their lives. And because their lives were changed in such a powerful way, their routines changed. The important things of their life changed. Their entire lifestyles changed because of the power of the gospel within their lives. And what we see is this fleshing out of the biblical model of what the church really ought to be. The church should never be some form of dryness or ritualistic activity. We come, we, we sing, we sit down, we stand up, we, we, we hear and we listen and we go away. And since I shared a couple of weeks ago, unfortunately, the church of our culture has become too much like the theater we, we come and we sit down and we watch the performance before us. Uh, we pay our admission fee as the basket is passed. And then after the show is over, we go out and it does nothing. Oh, maybe we'll say, oh, that was a good show, wasn't it? Oh, I enjoyed that show. Let's go again to that show next week. Uh, or they go away and it has absolutely nothing, no impact on them at all. Unfortunately, the church of our culture has become way too much some forms of church today and, and has been literally through the years. It becomes a list of do this and, and don't do that. Oh, you're going to be a Christian? Well, you need to do this, 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 and this. Oh, and make sure that you're doing this. Oh, but don't do this and don't do that. And then by doing the right do's and not doing the right don'ts, then suddenly you're a good Christian. But you know what? That's not what a relationship with Christ is all about. A relationship with Christ is a life that is changed and being lived out on a daily basis. They're living their lives with a sincere devotion, with this earnest passion, and we even see it in what Luke writes to us. Luke uses this word, we we see it here in verse 42, in the uh, king james and in the new king james version it says they continued steadfastly some of your versions might say that and they were devoted to the apostles doctrines or the apostles teaching that whole idea of, of continued steadfastly or devoted to, has the idea of persevering, of, of, of constantly being diligent toward, uh, adhering closely to, being devoted to, being focused on, holding fast to, to be involved continually. And that's what Luke is trying to drive home. They were involved continually. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayers. Let me ask you a really personal question. But does that really sound like the church today? To where we are so devoted, so impacted by the Word of God, by the fellowship of the believers together, by our times of prayer together, even the times of of breaking of bread, of of communion together, that those have such an impact on our lives that we are devoted to these things. Man, we are steadfastly uh, uh, adhering to these things or is church just kind of a habit for some, or it's only a small portion of their life? I I give the Lord one-seventh of my life, one day a week, and maybe even of that one day, I give him just a couple of hours of my day and the rest goes on. What Luke is sharing for us here, guys, I, I believe is really a true biblical model of the church. And as we look at it, you see that there's these four things, these four major things, and yet they're very basic things. As new believers, they continued steadfastly. They were constantly devoted to the apostles' doctrine, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. There was this consistency in their devotion in every one of these areas. And how did that play out? What was the result of that? Well, look at your Bibles down in verse 43. What does it say? Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Look down at verse 47. They were praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those that were being saved. That's a powerful thing, and I don't think the church has that power today. I'm being absolutely honest with you. I don't see the church in general in our culture having that kind of a power where we're impacting our culture in that way. So let's look at these four things that that, that he speaks about earlier here. See what they mean for us and how really we can adapt them into our own lives. First of all, we see that the, the biblical church was marked by the teaching of the Word. The teaching of the Word. That it's the Word of God, the apostles' doctrine, the apostles' teachings, that were impacting the lives there. Again, not only was the teaching from the Old Testament, because, hey, they didn't have the New Testament yet, remember. Uh, it was still being formed. The book of Acts was being formed right, in their, right, right before their very eyes. They didn't have the writings of the New Testament, so what did they have? They had the Old Testament, and they had the teachings of Jesus. That, that, the word teaching there, the apostle's doctrine, it's the Greek word, didache, simply means the teachings or or the doctrine of the apostles. And as the apostles taught these things, they would be teaching to them about the connection of all of these Old Testament passages that these Jewish men would know and understand. They would teach these Old Testament passages, teaching about the promises and the prophecies, teaching about the covenants and the blessings, and all of those things about how they all formed together and joined together and connected to the very life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. All of those Old Testament things led to the reality of Jesus Christ coming, giving his life as a sacrifice, as a payment for the sin of mankind. It's what theologians call messianic Christology. Messianic Christiology. In other words, looking at the Old Testament, how all of these prophecies, these declarations, these words about the Messiah coming are being lived out, were lived out and completed by Christ. It's amazing. We can look at the Old Testament and we, we can take a, a quick perusal of the Old Testament. Now. But when you go back and you look at what happened in the Old Testament and how all of it continually points to Jesus. You can go all the way back to the garden. And God provided a covering for the sin of Adam and Eve. Not that their nakedness was the sin, that wasn't it. But because of their sin of disobedience, sin entered into their lives. And God had to slay an animal to provide a covering for them, pointing all the way to what Jesus the Messiah was going to give for them. How God protected and and kept Noah and all of his family in the midst of all the wickedness of the world. When God poured his wrath out on the world, God protected and covered Noah and his family, just as in the same way that the blood of Jesus Christ covers us. And at the time of God's wrath, those that are saved won't experience God's wrath. We weren't created for the wrath of God. We weren't destined for the wrath of God. You look at all of this, and, and even shortly after the time of the flood, man came together, and man tried to reach heavens on his own at that Tower of Babel as they all came together and began building this huge structure. We can reach the heavens on our own. And God said, no, you can't. And suddenly he changed all of their language and and great confusion came and spread. God was just telling him, you cannot do this on your own efforts. You have to come by faith in me. God was letting them know that at the very beginning. Then along comes this man called Abram who later became Abraham. God called him out of Ur of the Chaldees, a pagan culture, absolutely filled with all these pagan gods. And yet God came to him and said, Abe I want you to come and follow me i'm going to show you a land you've never seen and you know what god can still do that god can reach into the deepest the darkest of all pagan cultures and speak to the heart of just an individual and make himself known to them to suddenly without even the testimony of other saints without even the testimony of the word the spirit of god can touch people's hearts and draw them to himself and again, revealing himself to them. And so Abraham, Abram, he followed God. And as he came out, we fast forward through to his son, his son Isaac, his only son. And God said, I want you to sacrifice your son, your only son to me, Abraham. And so again, the great picture of God giving his son, his only son. And yet we know that just as Abraham was about to slay his own son, God told him to stop. I just wanna make sure that you'd be willing to follow me. I provided already a sacrifice. And isn't that the reality? That's what Christ is. Christ is the sacrifice for us. So from the Old Testament, they're able to draw these things. Then we go from Isaac to Isaac's son, Jacob, who later became known as Israel. And from Israel, he has these 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel. And yet we see in those 12 men, the one son, Joseph. And, And if you remember the picture, if you can just put the picture together, Joseph was quote-unquote sacrificed by those he was a part of. He was sold into slavery. He was, he was literally told his father that he was dead. He was sold into slavery. And what we find out in the story of Joseph, that even in the midst of his sacrifice, that allowed him, if you get the picture, to save his family. As he rose up in the ranks there in Egypt, he was then during the midst of the famine to be able to provide food and nourishment and forgiveness for his family. Through, again, the sacrifice of Joseph came the salvation or the saving of his family. What a picture of Christ that is.
0: That's all we have time for on today's edition of The Open Word. Pastor David has been teaching through the book of Acts, introducing you to the early church and how they were radically changed by an encounter with the Holy Spirit. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to let you
1: know how you can listen to more editions of The Open Word. Here's Pastor David. I'm so glad you tuned in today to The Open Word. As you know, this broadcast is meant to share with you the hope, grace, and love that can only be found through Jesus Christ. Would you like to listen to more of them? Well, just visit theopenword.com. You'll be directed to our Facebook page where we're adding all of my previous messages for you to listen to for free. Be sure to like and follow that page and feel free to share it with your friends. That website, again, is theopenword.com. Thanks,
0: Pastor David. We'd like to take a moment before we close and ask you to consider partnering with us here at The Open Word. Would you pray for us and for our listeners? We know the enemy attempts to hinder the truth of the gospel from being spread. He will stop at no cost to prevent even one heart from turning to Jesus. Thanks for partnering with us in this and thanks for listening to The Open Word. Do you live in Casa Grande? If so, we'd love to meet you. Come join us this weekend at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande on Saturday at 6.30pm or Sunday at 9 or 11am. Directions can be found at theopenword.com. That's all for today. Thanks again for tuning in and for praying for the open word.